Hi, everybody. We've got a really special episode this week. Bree's taking a break, and she let me make a full episode about the show that I'm on, Mythic Quest, which, if you haven't seen already, is out on Apple TV+. So my co-host this week is Charlotte Nick Dow, who plays Poppy on Mythic Quest. Hi, it's me. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, how are you today, Jesse? Oh, I'm doing well today, Charlotte. And you? Oh, just excellent. Oh, good. So when I was in second grade, I started a cult. And the way that the cult functioned was that at lunchtime, no one was to do anything but come to this one area of the playground where we would sit in a circle and hold hands. And I would guide everyone through an adventure where we would battle the devil. Okay. Look, everyone enjoyed it. People liked it. It was fun. (laughs) People looked up to me. And then after a week, one of the students started getting nightmares and told her mom who came to the school and was like, hey, Charlotte Nickdale started a cult. I think you should know. My teacher called me in. And this is the point where a good leader would be like, yeah, I started a cult and it's a bit scary. And I'm sorry that I scared the student, but I totally sold her out. I was like, I didn't start this. It's not me. I read it in a book and we all wanted to do it. And the teacher was like, okay, well, maybe if you bring the book in, we can. So I went home and I wrote a book and then I stained it with tea and burnt the edges. No. And it looked really old and I brought it in and she was like, okay, please don't do this cult anymore. <laughs> <laughs> learning lots, learning lots. Bree and Jesse are learning lots. But learn so much their heads will grow there. You know how this goes? Yeah. All right, ready? Okay, I'm ready. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Charlotte. And we're Learning, learning Lots. Learning Lots. Learning Lots. Learning lots. Charlotte and Jesse are Learning Lots. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a big fan. Oh, of the podcast or yes, of, of me? Both, obviously. Good. One yeah. kind of leads to the next. And there I am, digging for compliments yet again. <laughs> Okay, so this week's topic is leadership. Did you have good leadership growing up? Yeah, I think both of my parents were good leaders. Part of their good leadership was that they made a bunch of sacrifices to send me and my sister to a good school where we had a lot of really great examples of leaders. What's interesting about our job as actors is you have a boss for a few months and you see what that's like and then you move on. So we get to experience a lot of different kinds of leadership. The bad leaders really stick with me. At work, have you had any bad leaders that you can think of? I worked in a clothes store and I had a boss. And the reason she wasn't a great leader was because she had a very specific way of thinking and she couldn't imagine that anyone else thought differently. Mm. She used to ask me to do things like swap all the clothes on the left side of the store to the right side of the store and vice versa. Mm. And it would take me half the day and the store would be a mess. And she would be like, why is the store a mess? And I would be like, well, because you've asked me to do this strange thing. And she just couldn't understand why I wasn't on board with it. I had one bad leader on a movie, and the whole time I just kept feeling like, oh, wait, maybe I am ready to be a director because I know I could do a better job than this person. You're a great leader. Oh, thank you. I always think that you fall into that role very naturally and in a way where it's because you're very good at it, not because you're after power. Oh, good. I'm glad it's coming off that way. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had like a professional leadership position? Yeah, I've directed short films. 
And I do think I kind of naturally fall into a leadership position. Maybe I'm an alpha, (laughs) a shy alpha. I think you're definitely a shy alpha. (laughs) I read a book years ago about how as a society, we really prioritize extroversion as being morally the better thing to Mm -hmm. be and introversion as being something that you should learn to not be. But that the thing is, we as a community need both because extroverts might be really good at communicating their own ideas loudly, but introverts are much better at hearing other people's ideas. Mm. Part of the reason that they're so successful is because they're able to listen. I love that. So listening is an important part of leadership. Absolutely. Confidence? Yes. A good leader needs to make you feel confident in their ability to lead without making you feel like you don't matter in terms of what they're leading. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, I have something interesting. Oh, yes. Okay, so I have a Great Dane. We did a lot of sessions with this really great dog trainer who taught us so much about how the security that our dog was going to feel was really dependent on knowing where the leadership lay. And I wonder if that's like kind of an interesting thing to apply to like human packs as well. Like if no one knows where the leadership lies, you can feel very insecure. Yeah, definitely. Which brings me back to our guest, Rob McElhenney, Mm. who is the leader of our pact. And I feel like a a strong leader and someone whom we can rely on for leadership. Mm, Yes. He's the co-creator of our show, Mythic Quest. He's also the co-creator and star of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He is a actor, writer, director, producer, husband, and father, and he now owns a soccer team. So I feel like he's been in leadership yeah. positions in a billion different arenas or however many that is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. A billion. Seven. <laughs> Somewhere between seven and a billion. <laughs> but I think he's a great leader, and I'm really grateful that he's taking the time to talk to us about leadership because I genuinely want to learn from him about this specific thing. All right. So let's talk to Rob. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Well, we've been singing your praises. So do you want us to repeat that so you hear all the nice things we think about you? It would be nice. I think you're doing the best job. I feel really grateful to have your leadership as an example. Mm, Thank you. That's so wonderful to hear. You do something really cool in that you don't hoard the ownership for yourself. I feel like I have a level of pride with this job that isn't necessarily super usual On other jobs, I'm like going on to somebody's set or I'm there to like serve their vision. And with our show, I feel a great sense of like ownership over what we do. And it's something that you even wrote into the script where at the end of season one, you carve Poppy's name into the wall and you say like, this is yours too. And I remember watching that episode being like, that's what he does for all of us. (laughs) Is that something you do intentionally? I definitely learned a long time ago that the more people feel as though they take ownership and pride in the thing that they're working on and that there isn't some sort of monolith at the top of it that's dictating his or her vision of what something needs to be or should be, it garners great results. And not to say that that type of power structure hasn't also garnered great results in the past. It just has never worked for me, either as an employee or as a partner, and now as an employer and and as a leader I've always found that when you empower people to become a part of the process, that they give you their best. You became a leader very, very early on in your career. You started Always Sunny at, how old were you when that show started? I think we shot the pilot when I was 26. 
Do you feel like you went into that with a strong idea of what kind of a leader you wanted to be? Or do you feel like that developed over time and how long did it take? Oh, I definitely had an idea of the leader that I wanted to be when we started. However, that has evolved greatly and I hope will continue to change and evolve until I die. (laughs) Because you want to keep learning and keep growing and keep understanding the world a little bit better and keep pushing through that very myopic point of view that we all can't help but have. It's our experience of the world. So the only way that we can continue to push through that is by asking questions, listening more than you talk, which is difficult for me and difficult for anybody in a position of of power, because you recognize that you actually have to talk or at least lead by example and push things forward. What I've often found is that if you're not listening just as much or even more, that you're not able to then continue to evolve and grow. So I like that for me personally, and I also like it for me professionally. Were there mistakes that you made at the beginning of Sunny that you wouldn't make now? Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> There's, I mean, there are mistakes that I make every single day on Mythic Quest, again, both professionally and personally. I think that if you're not making mistakes, then you're not really trying anything new, which is, uh, I think, a really important part of the process of leadership. It's important for you to have a point of view and then to be open to the fact that you could be wrong at any given moment and pivot very quickly and run in the opposite direction as fast as you can. And it can be really frustrating for the members of a team to see a leader constantly pivoting and yet running as fast as he or she can into one direction and then turning on a dime and going in an opposite direction because it's hard to figure out what the leader is asking for or needs or wants oftentimes. And that can be detrimental. But I will say it does allow for whatever the project is to continue to move forward, which is really important, but also to make sure that it's moving forward in a collaborative way. A TV show is a great microcosm for a larger collection of people, but we all have a similar goal. But if everybody got to weigh in on every single decision every single day, and it was a true democracy, then nothing would ever get done. You would never progress. It has to be pushed through the prism of at least one governing body, whether that's one person or three people because they can outvote the one person. As long as we have something like that in place, then we can progress. And yet it still feels exceptionally collaborative because everybody kind of gets a say. But you've been in circumstances where I've invited all sorts of different opinions from people. And then we call that down into how we move forward. And then you've also been there on set when I basically say, okay, everybody, this is what we're doing. I'm not taking anybody's opinion. I can't because we have three minutes to get the shot. This is what's happening. And navigating those things are tricky. Did you have examples of good leadership when you were a kid? Yeah, yes. Exceptionally so. And it started with both of my parents. When my parents divorced, which I didn't understand at the time, was that my mother was recognizing that she was, I don't think she would consider herself gay, but she certainly isn't wholly straight. I don't know that she would have the nomenclature. Or to be honest with you, I don't even know that I do. I know that she feels as though she's undefinable. She just happened to fall in love with a woman. Even on an unconscious level, recognizing that for as painful as that might be, I still think that there was an acceptance at a very young age. And then as I grew older, a real admiration and respect for a person who was very young and in a very difficult circumstance, being in an exceptionally cloistered neighborhood of South Philadelphia that was staunchly Irish Catholic, having three children, And the guilt associated with that and the pressures from a society, from a family, from a culture that 
she knew would be adversarial. And yet, to be true to herself, she knew that she had to make a decision that was going to be exceptionally difficult. And yet, she was able to do that with dignity and grace and love and compassion and empathy for herself and for us and for her husband. And then my father's response to that was the same, which I can't begin to fathom. If I even ask them now, they wouldn't even consider that aspect of it. I think that they were doing what they felt they needed to do. And my father did the same. And really, I never remember a moment of acrimony between them. I mean, my father was 30 years old, maybe to late 20s. And his wife comes to him in the mid-1980s and says, I'm leaving you for another person. I love you, but I need to be who I am. I love my children and I'd like to continue a relationship with them. Will you support me in this? And he said, yes. I mean, the amount of discipline and compassion and emotional fortitude that that took is something that I'm continually grateful for and have the utmost admiration and respect. And if that isn't leadership, then I don't know what the fuck is. <laughs> when has it been the most challenging for you to be a leader? I think it's really hard to lead when there are a myriad of external issues that you have to deal with. You know, this season is a great example. We were in the middle of a pandemic and you're trying to navigate both the safety of the crew, which is of paramount importance, and then the creative integrity of the show. And then you're also having to navigate 200 or so different personalities. And now, because we're all affected by the same challenge and everybody has a different way of dealing with it, and yet we are now being asked to all work together to find a common solution to all of that. That was really difficult. But those are external pressures. I would say that that's when things are really difficult. But if I really dug deep and answered that question of like when it's actually hard to be a good leader, I think it's more when I recognize when I feel as though I'm prioritizing my ego instead of the process of the thing itself, which I've always really worked hard to make sure does not happen, but it's really difficult and it happens from time to time and I have to put that in check. Would you say that having some level of ego is important to being a leader? Yes. And that's why it's so hard to navigate because I don't know how I could completely extricate my ego and my sense of self from the work that I do completely. Mm. It's kind of wrapped up in the same ego. And you have to be able to figure out when to put that in check, when to respect it and listen to that little voice inside of you and when not to. And that's a daily practice. You've created a really nurturing environment on set. It's it's kind of astounding to me sometimes because I know you're spinning 100 plates at the same time and then you're like, all right, now's the time that I'm going to take 10 minutes to really hone in on attending to this one person and building them up and, and also like supporting them and making them feel valued. You invited me to join the writer's room, which was incredibly informative and helpful and a valuable experience I'll never stop thanking you for. You opened the door to the editing experience. You had Charlotte and I compile a scene for this season, which was so fun and such a cool challenge to just throw at us at the end of a day. <laughs> You've let us shadow directors. You had me direct some of the second unit. And then you send these emails like every few months that are like, hey, what are you thinking about? When are you going to start writing your own show? Why 
do you take the time to do that? Like, why is that important to you? <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finding as I get older that that is a huge part of the reason I get up every day. I really enjoy what I do for a living. I think it's the greatest job in the world. And I think that there are a lot of people out there in the world that would like to do it as well. And I like to share my experience with them and to show them a path forward where if they do want to do what I do, that there is a way for them to achieve it. And if they're interested in it, I can help them along the way. Would you say that leadership and legacy go hand in hand? I don't know. There's something really interesting about the word legacy that there's a certain like pejorative that comes along with mm-hmm. it. I think it's because of the way that we think of it, at least traditionally, yeah. which is some way for us to remain alive after, mm-hmm. <laughs> after we're dead. And of course, that's where the ego comes into play. However, there is a really positive way to look at that, which is that if you've created, or at least you've been a part of the creation of a legacy of leadership that is maybe a little bit more constructive and a little bit more inclusive and a little bit more process-based rather than results-based, that maybe you've left the planet a little bit better than it was when you were born into it. Have you had to work with bad leaders? Yeah, who hasn't? Look, I've had the luxury of having a lot of things fall my way by nature of the way I was born. So traditionally, as we're seeing and understanding as a culture, that I was in some ways, in terms of leadership, I was born on third base because of the color of my skin and because of my gender. And then on top of that, I think also just naturally, I have a, I don't want to say aggressive personality, but maybe that's what it is. I think I'm a little bit more enthusiastic or energetic and I'm outgoing and opinionated. And I, and I know that that is just a personality trait that's neither good nor bad. It just sort of is. And those are all commonalities amongst leaders traditionally. And I think what we're seeing now is that that does not have to be the case. And that just because you have a certain kind of personality, just because your skin is a certain color, just because you're a certain gender, does not mean that you can't be an effective leader. And I think what's exciting about that for me is like, I navigated my way into doing what I do, which I'll continue to grow and evolve. However, I had the luxury of starting from a place that was understandable to people. And so I think in some ways it was easier for me. And now I think what we're going to see over the course of this generation and the next generation are people figuring out a brand new way of doing it. And I think that's exciting. Do you feel like there are telltale signs of a bad leader? Like, say you're going to start a new project with someone. Are there things that you could see in someone in terms of them stepping into a leadership position that you would straight away be like, you know what? I'm going to back out of this. (laughs) Yes. I think it's two opposite ends of the same spectrum. I think it's people who either never believe they're right or people who never believe they're wrong. Mm. It's the same ego spectrum. It's going to be really difficult for you to to be a a good leader if you don't believe in yourself and what you're capable of. And I also believe that you don't have the ability to be a great leader if you only believe in yourself and believe that you're incapable of being fallible. Do you think a shy person could be a good leader? Yes, 100%. I think you can be shy and still be very active. I think you can get what what you want and still be assertive and actionable without having to be a blowhard, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I recognize I can be sometimes. I recognize that I'm not necessarily shy. A lot of people make the mistake of conflating bravado with confidence. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, that's just a big old fallacy because the most arrogant people are the most insecure. They're covering something. They're covering a real weakness. Are there times when screaming is an effective method of leadership? I remember being an extra. I was a background player 
on a commercial in New York. And I just remember the assistant director was just screaming at everybody the entire day. Like all the actors, all the background people, all the people in catering. I mean, it was just like a constant screen <laughs> fest. And I was like, what? It's a fucking commercial for double mint gum. Who gives a fuck? Why are you so, calm down. I mean, calm the fuck down. And like, I realized that, okay, if I ever got into that position, I would never be a screamer. And I've stuck to that. However, then I do find myself raising my voice in excitement on set, maybe getting louder. But I think that there is a difference between being, uh, and I, I, I don't think I, I, th- I don't think I'm dancing around the reality. But I'll let you speak. I'll let you speak to it because you've been around me for a couple of years. I've never once in my entire career, or I hope life, humiliated somebody to get something done, or called somebody out in a way that is unfair or detrimental in front of a group of people for the sake of getting something done. And I think there's a big difference between getting people's attention and pointing out how somebody is fucking up and hurting them. I think that there's a big difference. And I think this is true that I've never done that in my career, but I will say that I have, and I'm sure you've been around when I've been like, go, let's go, everybody, come on, focus, 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 because it's still a crew of a hundred people and everybody's on their phone. And from time to time, (laughs) you got to get people's attention. And that's sometimes the only way to kind of get it. Right. So how do you handle it when someone's fucking up? You said you don't like humiliate them in front of people. Do you talk to them like directly about it? Generally, what I'll do is I'll find the time to pull the person aside and just say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Just one-on-one. This was disappointing. I really expect something better. I need you to focus. Or I, I need to find somebody else who can do this job. And I've had that conversation directed at me before from my partners. Pull me aside. Hey, this was unacceptable to me and in my work environment. I expect you to do better. I expect you to be more focused. If I'm going to be here working, giving 100%, I expect you to do the same. And when someone comes to me with that information, it's impossible to get defensive for me. And I've noticed it in other people when I bring it up, depending on the way that you do it, because those conversations have to be had, that people respond really well because they respect the fact that you did it one-on-one. It's uncomfortable. Conflict is always uncomfortable, but necessary. And I think that 99.9% of the time you are dealing with a rational human being who wants to do a really good job and they recognize that maybe they made a mistake. Again, when I'm on the other end of it, I try to do that as well. And I try to listen and understand and then come to a conclusion that we can both live with and move forward. We were talking earlier about the idea of a good leader being able to like have a confidence that people can trust. But I think it's interesting what you're saying is kind of instilling that confidence in your team involves not just building them up, but also having the confidence that they want to do well, they want to contribute, they can make a mistake and then fix it. It's easy to lose faith in a leader when, to use your word, when they like humiliate someone, it seems like they're saying, oh, I don't trust anyone else to be able to do their job the way that I can do mine. And then that's a hard person to follow. Yes. And then especially when you're doing something like we do, because people are different. Everybody navigates the world differently. But I will say that working with artists is very different than working with engineers. Being on set versus, say, being in prep or being in post, or going to the mix. I just recognize that the way that people approach life, the way that they approach work, the way that they approach their personal relationships, what drove you to be an artist versus what drove you to be a technician versus what drove you to be whatever it is that you choose to be in life has a lot to say about the way you navigate the world. And so 
I wouldn't say that I put on a different personality. I just have to recognize that not everybody is like me. Not everybody is like an artist. Not everybody is like a technician. Not everybody is like an athlete. Not everybody is like a mathematician, whatever it is. You have to meet people where they are if you want to get the best relationship out of them. And if you want to get the best work out of them, you have to meet them where they are and work with that. And if you're unhappy with that or displeased with that, then you have to extricate yourself from the relationship because it's never going to go well. You're an actor, a writer, a director, a producer, a husband, a father, and now you're on a soccer team. Do all of those different jobs require different kinds of leadership? No, I don't think so. And in fact, they complement each other in so many different ways because I'm learning the same lessons over and over and over and over and over again. Would you say that you're learning lots? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, I'm learning lots from these fucking kids. I mean, it's a constant (laughs) reminder that if you're in a non-threatening situation, so I want to dispense with the idea that this is like a self-defense thing or something. If you meet aggression with aggression, you're just going to get more aggression. Mm -hmm. If you meet conflict with more conflict without the ability to be open to the fact that you might be wrong, you're just going to continue a belligerent exchange and it's never going to actually lead to anything. It's so hard to do that, to take a breath in the middle of a disagreement or in the middle of a tense situation and go from a 10 in our lizard brains. We're there for a reason because it's self-preservation and it's instinctual. To be able to take that 10 down to a six is really, really hard, (laughs) really hard. But don't we learn this lesson all the time that when we are able to do that, then we can come to a conclusion faster and that it's generally a better conclusion than it is if we just go at each other at a 10. That's the lesson I just keep learning over and over and over again that can extend into all facets of life and all facets of being a leader that you have to meet people where they are. It's something that I'm learning, but something that parenthood shined a very stark light onto it. If it's a personal relationship, you can cut a friend out of your life. With an employer, you can quit your job. With an employee, you can fire them. You can run from a spouse, right? Which essentially means you can run from the conflict and even you can run from the potential that you might have to change. With a child, there's nowhere to run. You have to navigate it because no matter what, you're madly in love with this living being and it needs you desperately and he or she or they want desperately to be loved and yet their brains aren't necessarily formed enough yet and they don't have the regulation of emotion yet or rationality to achieve that. And so it's wholly up to you to adapt, to recognize the situation and say, I have to meet this creature, this beautiful creature that I love that I fucking hate also (laughs) right now in the moment. I have to figure out how to navigate my own temperament and the way that I'm approaching the situation, or I'm going to lose. That's a stark reminder that you're very much out of control in these environments and that if you are unwilling to adapt and to be wrong and to meet somebody where they are, you're going to lose them. On Mythic Quest, you play Ian, who is the creative director (laughs) of Mythic Quest, the game. Do you feel like Ian is a good leader? Ooh, no. I think he's really good at some things and not good at others. I feel like the first season too, but especially the second season, really delves into ideas of leadership and power And every different character, I think, in this second season especially, is grappling with leadership. Was that an intentional theme when you started developing the show? Or was it a show about a video game studio that then kind of 
organically turned into a show about power? I guess I just learned from experience that to try to dictate exactly what the show is going to be or become, even in the first season with the pilot, is impossible. Because you write this thing in a vacuum and you have no idea what's going to work, what's not going to work. I mean, Jesse's character didn't even exist in the pilot. And your character, Charlotte, was a completely different person. So what you realize is, well, we can write in a vacuum. We can even make a pilot in a vacuum. But you just don't know what's going to connect and what's going to work. And then months later, when you're in the editing room, you realize like, oh, no, the show's this. Then you go to the season one writer's room and you think the show's this. And then four weeks into the writer's room, you go, oh, no, you know what the show is? It's actually this. It's going back to that same thing you were talking about, like being able to turn on a dime and decide that something is something totally different and be okay with that and go at it full force. Yeah. And such a big part of that is surrounding yourself with people that you trust and who you know are talented or even more talented than you. Right, Rob? (laughs) 100%. I mean, that's the biggest grift that I have ever put into the world. And I say this not with false humility. I truly believe this, that, you know, Sunny, for example, is a show where I was just like, these are the funniest people I can absolutely imagine. And I'm just hanging on for dear life, just hanging on for dear life and then stealing everything I could along the way. And it makes me look and feel like I'm a part of this thing when really I'm on the outside looking in. And then little by little, I feel like I finally earned my way back in. And so this show is exactly the same where I've surrounded myself with killers and people who are just so great at what they do that it makes me look good. And I'm happy to take that credit. (laughs) And if for argument's sake, we agree that that's true, that is probably what makes you such a great leader. Yes. You've convinced us to have that pride in ourselves. Great. Thank you. I'll take it. Thank you for taking this time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. I also know I can call you whenever and ask you more questions. (laughs) Yes, you can. I'm happy to be on your podcast and I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate your leadership. Bye. Bye. It's so nice and refreshing how humble he is. I really do admire him and look up to him, and I find his example of leadership to be something that I am just genuinely so eternally grateful for. Absolutely. It was really nice to be able to dig a little bit deeper into a lot of his philosophies about how to lead and how to create and how to cultivate a constructive and positive team environment. He takes his role as a leader very seriously, and I know that it goes beyond production. I've had experiences with him where I've had personal situations on set where I've been like, ah, this thing just happened and I'm worried about it. And he said, you know what? Family's more important. Go home. We'll reschedule the day. It's fine. And it's that kind of leadership, I think, that makes you want to do your absolute best for the team. Definitely. And Mythic Quest as a show is about leadership. Like, if you look at every single character, you do get to see these different archetypes. Like, Joe, your character, Joe is the personification of how power and leadership are two different things. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't want to be a leader. She wants to have power. Yeah, definitely. My character, we've established in the first season, has this addiction to power. And in season two, we kind of get to explore what happens when she ditches the 
baby aspirin that is David Brittlesby, and she gets turned on to the hard stuff, which she finds in Brad Bakshi, and we get to watch what happens to her when she taps into that main vein of power. And it's really fun getting to follow her through this addiction cycle, and it really has nothing to do with leadership. I think she's drawn to really great leaders, but I don't think she herself is a leader. I don't think she understands that power instills leadership into people. Mm -hmm. All she wants is the opportunity to be in charge, but I don't think she would know what to do if she were in charge. And then Ashley Birch plays Rachel and she's been fighting for some form of leadership. And then when she gets given that opportunity, she doesn't know what to do with it. Right. And then on the other side of that spectrum, you have Imani Hakim's character, Dana, who isn't necessarily seeking leadership, but does know what she wants to do. And Rob's character, Ian, is a good leader. He inspires people. He can't make a video game on his own, though. He doesn't have those skills, whereas Poppy, in a way, is the opposite. She has all the skills she needs to do the technical side of her job, but then when she's given the power to actually lead a group, it brings out the worst qualities in her. And I don't know how much I've seen that in film and television, like the bad girl boss. Yeah, I love that. I find it really refreshing. I honestly hadn't thought of Poppy as a girl boss before because we do attribute such specific things to that trope. Often when we're talking about women in leadership, we expect certain things of them. And one of them is that they're always likable and they're always competent. We have much higher expectations for women in leadership roles than we do for men. Mm -hmm. The role models that a lot of women have are male leaders and For Poppy, in our story, her role model for a leader was Ian, who had very masculine ways that he led. And so she's trying to mimic a lot of it. And it's not authentic to the way that she would work if she didn't feel like she had to exist in particular structures. She expects that everyone should just respect her because she's the boss. Right. Which is what we do with men, right? Right, I mean, not to get up on a soapbox about it, but it is. Like, we see a man in charge and we go, oh, yeah, you belong there. I'll listen to whatever you have to say. Whereas when you see a woman in charge, you're often like, all right, prove yourself. Which is where we get terms like girl boss. Yes. Which, like, immediately cuts down. If you are the boss of a company and you're being called a girl boss. Imagine if we called male CEOs boy bosses. I'm down. Can you imagine? I'm down. Let's start. Let's start that right here and now. (laughs) And I think that that's part of what makes the second season of Mythic Quest, the story of Poppy, so interesting is because she is uncertain. She does fail. She is imperfect. And a lot of the time she's very unlikable. So much of her frustration stems from, well, why aren't people just doing what I say? And there's like a line in one of the earlier episodes of the season where she's like, I just want a group of people that like look up to me with fear and awe and don't question anything that I have to say. Right. That's ridiculous. That's not what being a boss is. That's not what leadership is. But up until this point, that's how she sees what being a boss is because she sees everyone revert to whatever Ian has to say and ignore her. And she's assumed that it's because he's the boss and she's not. But now she's the boss. And she's like, why is people still not listening to me? And it turns her into a bit of an asshole. And so it makes you ask those questions of, well, how much opportunity do you give a person to figure out how to lead? Which is one of the things that we were talking about with Rob, this idea of making mistakes and learning from them. So there are situations where I get to play a monster and then I feel better tapped into what makes me a good person. Mm. Are there times when you're playing Poppy that you start to realize that you are a competent leader and there are skills that you have that you possess that Poppy doesn't? If there's one thing that I've learned from the character, it's less that I'm a good person and more that it's easier not to give a shit sometimes. Yeah. 
sometimes it's fun not to give a shit. I mean, not to the detriment of the people around you in terms of like being horrible to people, which is what Poppy does. And Joe. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. But it's like that's taking that thing to the extreme because I think that if you take it just to the middle, what it is is just confidence in your own ideas and your own ability. Just saying it doesn't matter if you approve of this because I believe in it. It's the balance between having full confidence and belief in yourself and also understanding that other people are sometimes going to have better ideas than you. Yeah, yeah. Poppy doesn't have that. No, I would say (laughs) she has all the confidence in herself and absolutely no respect for anyone else's ideas. (laughs) Yeah, she's the kind of leader who thinks that if she can't do it all, then it's not being done right. Yes. Right. Yes. Charlotte, did you learn anything today? I learned lots. Lots? Lots. How fitting. Honestly, Rob is one of those rare people that is both extremely good at his job and an extremely good leader. Before I met Rob, I had never considered doing anything beyond just acting when people told me I was allowed. I see so much more potential for going out and trying to make the things happen that I want to happen. And so having conversations like that with him give me ideas and inspire me to want to make things happen. Me too. (laughs) When I think about Mythic Quest, I think about specifically Rob McElhenney and how gracious of a leader he is. His work on Mythic Quest has been really admirable and something that I'm going to carry with me forever. And some of the things you said about our own show are things I hadn't thought about before. So I'm grateful that we took this time to do this. Thank you so much for co-hosting this episode. It was a joy. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a joy for me too. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 